When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Ola's back. Woo! Hello! Happy New Year and belated happy birthday, Ola. Thank you. Ola, did you have a wonderful New Year's? Yeah, it was really fun, yeah. I stayed at home though, but I still had good fun, like, drinking schleer and stuff, you know. (laughs) That was good stuff. (laughs) Do you get a lot of Christmas and birthday combined presents? Yeah, I do. Sometimes I just get, like, yeah, combined, just the one. It's a bit of a rip, isn't it? Yeah, it can be a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a bummer, but sure. And what school did you go to, Ola? <laughs> we have our, our guest today is also a Clash Iskon gal. It is Alva Malone. Hi. Very peppy. <laughs> <laughs> you are very welcome to the show, Alva. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it's really cool to be on. My mum listens all the time and I brought my book in for Dara to sign. And she said, he just seems like a nice man. <laughs> so you've got <laughs> half an hour to convince me. Um, otherwise, I will feed back. Yeah, I know. Then all the rumours start out. Yeah. He's a complete diva in the studio. <laughs> yeah, he wore a bathrobe. Um, <laughs> Drinking a martini while wearing a bathrobe. <laughs> for those of you who aren't familiar with Alva's work, she is a journalist based in London who has written for The Irish Times, The Irish Independent, The Guardian, Enemy, and most recently, BuzzFeed. Did I leave anyone out? You did. Um, you left out the, the cooler ones. Uh, oh. Like Nile, I used to work for Nylon a lot. A heat magazine I worked for. No Whoa. way! Oh. I know, that's, everyone gets so excited for that one. <laughs> and Heat magazine had a lot of the staff from Smash Hits who just grew up and made Smash Hits for people who used to read Smash Hits. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I was only ever freelance there, but um, I was, I just, I think it was like Heat was just the best magazine. I used to be a subscriber to uh, Smash Hits and it was always my... I was desperate to work for Smash It. So when I started working at a music magazine, um, I was like, this is it. It's my moment. <laughs> Smash It is interesting to me because it is largely responsible for perpetuating the word snog in Ireland. Mm. And there was a some irresponsible linguist suggested that snog actually came from snag in Irish to jazz music. And there doesn't seem to be any actual connection there. It's bad etymology. We don't stand for that here. But it's something I always remember when I think of Smash It's. <laughs> <laughs> So, Alva, could you spell your first name for us, please? I'd love to. Um, A-I-L-B-H-E. Excellent. And you live in London. Yeah. So how does your Irish name, your wonderful Irish name, go down with uh, baristas, uh, customer service people, things like that? 
It really depends. So I'm pretty firm on people saying my name right. So on my Twitter bio, it's kind of got how to say my name, on my email, um, everywhere. Everywhere that you like, I can flag up how to say my name properly. Um, I do, when I meet new people, I tend to kind of give them, I think like the main issue when you're encountering a name you're not familiar with is it's actually that you can't like pin the sound on something. So mm-hmm. if I say Alva, like A-L-V-A, that's the easy yeah. way to remember it. I kind of don't care how they spell it as long as they say it right. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what I tend to do. And then if I'm ordering a coffee, oh, I'll give them a fake name. <laughs> What's I the worst care. pronunciation of your name you got in the UK? Oh, do you know what? It's not even here. When I graduated Trinity, they pronounced my name wrong. So oh. it's oh. not even... Oh, dear. <laughs> It's not even a country-based thing. That is that is actually something that does warrant mentioning because my brother's name is Manus, which is a silent GH in it. Mm. He could deal with people mispronouncing as long as the fact they didn't also have a silent GH in their name. It's like, what's your, what's your excuse? <laughs> Una with a GH. Yeah, I like that. The, uh, I know because when I was graduating from UCD, I was thinking they're definitely going to call me Oshagada or Shagada or something. <laughs> oh but they didn't. I was very grateful to Art Cosgrove for getting it right. Nice. Um, no, like ALB... Um, ALB is the main one. Sometimes, a lot of the time, people will just go, hmm, Miss, Miss Malone. Um, <laughs> but I have it every, I, I don't, I don't really mind. I, I read a really, it's funny, when I was, when you invited me on this show, I was thinking about kind of other points of reference, people with difficult names. And there's, um, an Indian American writer called Dorga Chubos. Okay. Um, and she wrote an essay about how she, got tired of telling people how to say she used to kind of accept people saying her name whatever way um, and it's really interesting because she was like every time I let them say Durga or Dirga instead of Durga I'm oh god I hope I'm saying it right now she's not good <laughs> but um, <laughs> she felt like she was kind of erasing part of herself and I was like mm-hmm. yeah you can like you can just say what your name is People like people don't mean to be rude, mm. and I think yeah. you can easily filter out people who like will never get it right. Like there's a woman I used to work with who I just I just really liked her, and she liked me, and she knew who I was, but she would just always call me a slightly wrong variant of my name, and I just thought, you know, what? it doesn't matter mm-hmm. to this woman. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that like we know each other. She's nice. Yeah, yeah. No, I can relate to that as well because like um, my name's Ola, but everyone says Ola, and like yeah. I've just accepted it over the years. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's just what I'm going to be called. <laughs> so, yeah, but I do understand what you're saying about like it's kind of like erasing a part of yourself as well when people pr- you let people pronounce it wrong. I think especially like because um, you've got like a, a longer surname. Mm-hmm. Um, with a surname, it feels like it's like I don't know. This is like a general thought that I'm sharing as I half think it but it feels like when people get your surname wrong it's slightly more politicised mm-hmm. and when people get your first name wrong they're like oh sorry mm-hmm. they're like far less apologetic about it yes because mm. uh, all your, your surname is very phonetic but you probably still get it mispronounced anyway right? yeah, I do. yeah I love it though when people try like I think that's really good when people just try and say your name instead of just saying oh I just can't pronounce that I think that's mm-hmm. a bit definitely like, you can you can have a go yeah, and like I mean, you're going to you're going to recognize the face <clears throat> because the capital T, capital F, the face people make when mm. they encounter it, um, and you can recognize it. And you're like, go on, give give it a go. You know, you, you'll probably get it some way right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Effort, that's the best thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I have to ask you both: How has Clostius gone produce so many successful and wonderful journalists? Obviously, there's your, both yourselves, and then there's <laughs> there's Una Malali, and there's Adrian Gormley, and there are more and more. There's yeah, Shabelle Davis. Shabelle Davis, of course. Um, Blondie Cuffy. Yeah. I met her in, I was on uh, years and years ago. Um, I used to work on like a, a music magazine in Ireland as a student. 
And I was invited on to like one of RTE's youth shows to talk about it. Um, and I met Blonnet in the um, the makeup chairs oh. in uh, preparing for the studio. <laughs> and I did not play it cool. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> you were like seven years ahead of me in school. And that's so cool. And ah, and we're just down the road. And like, she was like, she was very nice about it. Mm. But she was also like, shh, stop talking. <laughs> she came to my book launch, actually. And I was just, I couldn't believe it. And I was like, you know, and Gallagher are starstruck. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, does Clash Juice go and have an amazing student newspaper or something? No, um, no we don't have a student newspaper, no. The very, well, I mean, we're like, we've discussed it, we're like 10 years apart. Mm. There were very few student publications. In fact, there was like a yearbook that we had to pay to produce. Oh. Um, so it wasn't like, it was very, uh, a very hands-off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's what happened to us as well. Yeah, yeah when we were leaving. Yeah, the final year and we had a joint one with Clash Down, like, mm. yeah, and we had to pay for it and produce it ourselves and stuff. Uh, we also took our own photos. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't know, I think, again, I was thinking about this, I think it's the kind of school that encourages you to push for things yourself mm. and encourages you to make things happen for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not the kind of school where we, like, there was no prizes, there was no prize ceremony every year, there was oh. no... Nothing like that. I mean, again, really? maybe maybe it's changed. Maybe I'm talking about like I walked through the snow barefoot, but, um, and I didn't get any support for my excellent results. Uh, no, um, th- so it's not the kind of school that like gives praise for praise's sake. And I think these are all kind of things that are kind of annoying when you're a teenager and crave mm. validation. Maybe when you're thirty, I don't know who said that. Um, but they're they're really important skills for being a journalist, and mm-hmm. or even someone who's like in the arts, or even someone who's not in like the media mm. but isn't self-employed like you need to have like a strong sense of what you want and what you w- will mm. do to achieve that and also like what that achievement means and is mm. yeah yeah I did feel like there was a lot of pressure academically as well and I think that w- was a good thing because like it pushed you to get the best that you wanted and did you enjoy learning things through Irish yeah so I don't know about you Ola but I um oh my god it's Ola isn't it yeah <laughs> I'm so sorry there's, there's no fog on the O. <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but um, I didn't go to um, a Irish language primary school, so I was like dumped in it <laughs> um, in first year, and oh my god, you felt so thick because it's total immersion. So like, you're not allowed if you said one sentence in English, you got a detention. Um, and I just felt so thick the whole time, just didn't know anything. And then it clicks, mm-hmm. and I went on to do languages in university, so I did French uh, and English at Trinity, and. Um, it's funny because by, by 50 or 60 you're kind of dreaming in Irish mm. um, and it meant that when I went to um, start like doing uh, everything through French I again felt really thick because I had to translate everything from Irish mm. <laughs> so they'd ask a question in English they'd, like, they'd say like what is such and such in French or whatever it was um, and then I'd like have to translate the answer into Irish and then into French so I'd be kind of like two questions behind everyone else <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I did feel that people that came from English primary schools actually did better in Irish in the school, to be honest. Cause like, yeah, because like I remember when I was in sixth year, like most of the people that were like head girls, like they came from English uh, primary schools. So I felt like because of that, maybe that pushed them uh, to work harder with the Irish and everything. And like I felt like maybe for people that went to Irish speaking schools, they felt more relaxed maybe than put mm. enough effort. Maybe. Hmm. Interesting theory. Did you go to an Irish primary school? Yeah, I did. 
it was only till I got to the leaving cert, like fifth, sixth year, that I actually put more effort mm. in my Irish, to be honest. Mm. Yeah. Recently, the CSO produced uh, some statistics on names in Ireland in general since 1964. And it really kind of highlighted the idea for me that I was actually living in a bubble because I was looking at some names and and some names are so are so low on the register. They don't if, you, if there's less than three names, they don't tell you how many there are because for security reasons and things like that. So there's some years when African rail team and Keelan weren't she in there. And I thought, I know, I know six Africans and I know five rail teams. And, and <laughs> sometimes you can feel it's, it's normal, but they've Irish names, particularly ones with a BH sound like a V are getting more and more common. In fact, there was research that Alva has been in double digit figures since 1972. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I was even now, Mary has, was traditionally the most popular name in Ireland until 19, 1983. But now Mary is down to 84. And there's several BHs of V names above it, like mm. Maeve and Sive and, and Ava, E A B H A, and various spellings of Avine. Do you think that the fact that these, as these names get more popular, it'll become people just accept, yeah, BH in the name usually usually is V. Sometimes there's a word, but usually a V. I don't know. I mean, like, I think this is this is just Irish names, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. So I'd I'd love to see like the top one hundred and like, are there any other like uh, names from different languages in there too? Yeah, there are. Um, um, for example, one of the big things was they said in the past couple of years, Muhammad is now more popular than Mary. But yeah, I just thought it was always interesting because I think even if you get a phonetic one, it's, people still still find a way. I think when I think sometimes people think if something's in Irish, they'd expect it to be difficult. Mm. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think um, it's nice that people are maybe trying to find names that like have meaning for them, mm-hmm. um, or names that like connect with them for some reason, rather than perhaps feeling like a pressure to a family name or that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I think that's probably the the hope I would have is that rather than people pronouncing my particular name right, that uh, families are able to choose a name that means something to them. Um, and I mean, like, I would love to see kind of. I know in your book you've got a section on Irish names, but I would love to see maybe like a resurgence of like a new Irish baby name book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that would be really good. There's definitely a market for one because the one was brought to our attention when when Lasserine is born. Mm. It's it's way, it doesn't have... They're old school, yeah. Yeah, they're very old school mm. and there's a lot of names now that are getting quite popular that aren't even in it. Like mm-hmm. we were talking about Bondaragine before we came on. I thought surely no one's actually called Bondaragine. <laughs> yep, there's a Bondaragine out there. Yeah. Hi, Bondaragine. <laughs> Yeah, shout out. That's such a cute name. Isn't it just cute when you're a baby? Maybe not cute when you're like a 27-year-old barrister defending (laughs) someone for murder. (laughs) It's a little bit like um, guys and dogs. And now Pinky O'Shea will come to the stand. (laughs) We're just going to take a quick break so you can hear about another show in the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Marcus O'Lara. And I'm Taz Callagher. And together, we've made a podcast for people who say they don't have time to listen to podcasts. It's called In the Shower with Taz and Marcus because you're supposed to listen to it when you're in the shower. 15 minutes of your day uninterrupted, you're washing your sexy body, listening to us answer the mysteries of the world. Listeners send in questions that they've always wondered the answer to, but never quite went as far as typing into Google what that mythical question's answer is. Have you ever wondered how much wood a woodchuck would chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Or if there's a correct way to wipe your bum? Or why the hell humans fall in love or kiss? Why do we never see baby pigeons? And loads more. We answer these questions. We expand your mind while you wash your behind. So subscribe now and make sure you tell all your friends. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts and they come out 
on Monday morning at 6am, no later, just in time for your Monday morning shower. And in the meantime, keep keep scrubbing. scrubbing. So, ever since I was a child, whenever we had relatives or friends, Irish friends over who've been living in London, there was always this uh, phrase, the perception of Ireland is changing, and it's in the 90s it was changing, in the 80s it was changing. Now, obviously, ever since Brexit has come along, Ireland has been discussed in a certain way, and this revealed maybe different attitudes and thoughts. It's become quite urgent in a way it hasn't been for a while. Um, you must have feelings from like a ground-level view from being over there. I think the thing that struck me the most was... Um like on a on a personal level, because the personal is political. Um, mm-hmm. I was, I felt really different, and I'm saying that as someone who is like a white middle class lady. Mm-hmm. Um, but when the breakfast vote came, Brexit, <laughs> Brexit vote came through, um, and it was kind of it felt like foreigners out, and I was like, but I'm I'm a foreigner, mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. I pay taxes, and like yeah. I just felt I felt really guilty because I felt like I was passing. Um, and I know this is like very general terminology, but I felt like I feel like this and you think I don't feel like this. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think that's the most difficult conversation I had. Like from my point of view was you kind of feel like you are in two different worlds. And I think kind of in the past six months or so, I've been really taken aback by how not parliamentary decisions. What I'm trying to say is like how things that are like in our constitution um, and that are shared with the UK, people don't have a lot of knowledge about it. Mm-hmm. So for example, being like, oh, could you vote? It's like, yes, I can vote. Or, mm-hmm. oh, and what about Northern Ireland? Or what, like all this kind of stuff. Um, and will you have to apply for a visa to stay in Britain? And like things that I would go, no, I don't. Mm-hmm. But I think I think it was just, I've, it was weird to feel so different Yes. But yeah. so very static. Mm-hmm. That's a difficult question to answer, but I hope I gave you an idea. No, that, that gives certainly, I think there's definitely an angle in that. Yeah. Do you feel like there's kind of like a hierarchy when it comes to immigration, like uh, in terms of like there's EU immigrants and there's non-EU immigrants? Did you feel like with Brexit that you still kind of had some privilege or... Yeah, I mean, I would, I would never argue that I, I'm not in a privileged position. Um, I think kind of I am like English is my first language, mm-hmm. or, or Irish, but like you know what I mean. Like, um, I mean, again, I don't, I don't want to generalize. I don't want to speak on behalf of other people's experiences. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of a little bit cautious about giving you like an answer that's like, and for these people this, mm-hmm. and for this people mm-hmm. this. But certainly, in terms of my experiences, I, I find it really d- difficult to understand how people couldn't take a 360 degree approach to immigration and emigration and what mm. that means. Yeah. And what do you think is going to happen next? Does anyone even know? Oh, we'll drag no. on. Yeah, it'll drag. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, Albert, tell us about, you know, music journalism, how it was and working for different, uh, like, Heat magazine, Smash Hits. Oh, I wish. First of all, I've never worked at Smash Hits. I would die to have worked at Smash Hits. Um, it was really interesting. I spent um, so I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I was uh, when I was a grown up. Um, I did initially. I thought I would be uh, a doctor or something like that. So I did all my um, sciences for my leaving cert, 
And then I really love languages, so I did languages instead. So I thought, oh, I'd be a linguist or a translator. So I kind of did French and I did Italian. And then I'd done like Latin at school as well. Um, but I just loved writing. Um, so I did. I just did loads of that at college. And then um, when I was in third year in college, some friends and I started a music magazine called Analog that went, um, it went national. So we went and we were stocked in like Belfast and stuff like that. And then I started writing a blog. Uh, and just through all that, I kind of thought, oh, I wouldn't mind getting paid for this. So I, um, it sounds really old school now, but I didn't know anyone who worked anywhere. So I went to um, Easton's and I bought every magazine I wanted to work for. And I went down the masthead, which is the list of contributors. Um, and I tried to find out the email structure. So who was like let's say the editor at, uh, I don't know, Vogue was like Anna Wintour. Mm-hmm. So I'd be like, okay, is it A.Wintour? Is it Wintour A at Condé Nast? Is it like, you know, all these formats? And then once I'd found a format that worked, I applied to everyone that worked there. So I emailed, gosh, I must have sent about 200 emails to like literally everyone, everything, hot press, you know, Vogue, whatever. Um, and then NME got back to me. Oh. Um, so I did work experience there in my breaks uh, my um term breaks and then they kind of gave me a gig and then um I kind of did the same thing the Irish Times and like a couple of other places so I kind of had a couple of different gigs going on and then um I kind of spent about four years going on tour at bands um going to a lot of gigs uh interviewing like pop stars and it was really good it was it's a really weird feeling interviewing people for a living maybe you've this as well dark where <laughs> you kind of pull on this mask and you're like oh my gosh hello tell me all like <laughs> did you get starstruck a lot of times like meeting with someone like Nelly and things like that mm, no I think I think I just got really interested I remember I was interviewing Nicki Minaj and I was like you are such an interesting person and like I think what's difficult is like when you're writing for like a broadsheet or something you have like certain like any whatever whoever you work for will have like an angle they want you to cover so like mm-hmm. if it's a broadsheet they'll like it'll be a general intro to or if it's like a really niche magazine it'll be like let's talk about these eight bars on this track um, but it's weird because sometimes you just have these really interesting conversations and you're like this is not going to get me my story but this is also so fascinating so I remember mm-hmm. I was talking to Nicki Minaj and I was saying how like um, it was like when her first record came out and I was talking about this the first and Roman's Revenge which is really like it's really kind of intense and in your face and I was like I felt kind of like the first time when I, I felt like this into grime where you go oh, that kind of like oh my god like I hate it but it's also like amazing Yeah, uh, it's like a roller coaster and I was like what track made you feel like that and she's like oh yeah Bleeding Love by Anna Lewis and I was like oh my gosh tell me more but also like we must press on but like interesting so yeah I think it's really it's really intense because you have this like 20 minute conversation with someone where you're both trying to get something out of it. Mm-hmm. Like you're both using each other. Yeah. Um, but you're also trying to connect on a human level. So it's like, it's it's really, really interesting, but tiring. I'd say. <laughs> yeah, Dara's eyes glazed over there. No, so no, yes, no, 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 no. It's, it's so tiring. It just seems like the actual kind of, I think for an awful lot of people when they've got something to sell, they're answering the same questions over and over again. I found this, obviously would have done a lot of interviews with the book. People ask things like, how long did it take to write? And I'm like, I don't really know. It just like, <laughs> I started and then I finished and then someone asks you kind of interesting questions that take away surprise and issues like what the hell is that going to do anything but then yeah. you like, actually yes let's have a conversation so it's um I can see what, what it must be like on the, on the other end that you actually do want to get the basic facts but you also want a great story yeah it's really interesting I really I really enjoyed it and my favorite thing about kind of working as a media journalist was just meeting so many people and mm-hmm. learning and finding out and 
I'm just, I'm like a fundamentally nosy person. I always say like my icon is Nancy Drew. Um, mm. So that was great. That's my favourite bit. And there's a, a recent trend, listicles, I suppose, is something I've seen a lot of. And sometimes a lot of listicles, they contain a certain amount of observational humour based on familiarity, like the immigrants missing tater crisps, immigrants <laughs> missing immigrants missing uh, brunches and the, the, the ice pop as opposed to the actual, the bottomless mimosas. Well, I hate a brunch, so <laughs> uh, I think it's a crap ice pop. Well, they've got so, less, they've got less sprinkle. They always go really soggy. Yeah, like, they if do you can have a, If you can guarantee me a fresh brunch... I'm all ears, but I don't want this soggy nonsense. <laughs> we knew a lad with bad acne when he was a teenager. His nickname was Brunch. No, yeah. oh my that's, God, so that's so mean. mean. It's really unfair, and I had nothing to do with it. But <laughs> <laughs> just clearing yourself away. <laughs> Absolutely, punch us pirate here. But I guess one of the things about these, I guess, list goals, humor based on familiarity. Sometimes you write this for a UK audience about things like A levels and things like that. And how does that feel? And do you just? Oh, very... I don't do that. Oh. I've always been like, no. I'm not going to pretend to have done A-levels or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the best things are always true. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I wrote this essay uh, last year um, about a really personal topic. My mum had cancer and I wrote an essay about it. Um, and I was really, really nervous because um, it's just so it's just so fundamentally mm-hmm. true and it's so personal. But the response was incredible. I got emails and text messages and like people finding me on Twitter being like, oh, my gosh, it's exactly my experience. So I think I think the most difficult thing with journalism and good writing is that it has to it has to be true mm-hmm. and you have yeah. to put a little bit of yourself in it. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought up that article about your mother, Norma. Shout out to Norma. I, I gather she listens regularly. <laughs> Delighted to have you on board. And you're a very moving, personal and oh, useful article about the process of dealing with a parent having a cancer diagnosis. It's meant a lot to me. I started the Irish Four as a part of a process of dealing with my father's um, issues of Parkinson's and his, eventually him passing away. But Norma's still... Norma's She's still with us. Still with us <laughs> and it's life. So, but it's something I find it very interesting and particularly you talked about the the long, boring bits, the occasional things, the things that you don't expect that make you cry. Yeah. Um, I think there's this thing when like you're a creative person that you're always kind of squirreling away bits of your life um, to mine later on. And for the most part, like, I wrote a column for the Irish Independent every week for the better part of, like, three years. And it was kind of like, girl about town, that kind of thing. So you're always being, like, putting stuff in your phone or being like, oh, this is a funny bit or this is worth, I'll get a column out of this. Um, so you kind of get really used to it. And even when you're writing essays and that kind of thing. And I think when my mum got diagnosed, well, just all these things started happening. And I was like bummed out obviously and like really upset and really worried but I think part of processing things for me or part of like understanding things for me was like probably squirreling some of it away to write about at some point and I think even if I didn't publish it I was like I just I need to write something about this I just like cancer is awful um and it was a really shitty year but also bits are really funny Mm -hmm. like when my mum had chemo all her hair fell out but like even inside her nose like in the witches, mm-hmm. you know, and she'd come home and take off her wig and like scratch her head and it'd be like, it would be like exactly like the witches. Um, you mm-hmm. just stuff like that. It's, it's really funny because it's really like, it's really inhumane. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of like funny in this kind of weird, um, like pathetic way. And I think as well, I hadn't, I felt really guilty for feeling so strongly about what was happening to my mum because it wasn't happening to me. I said, why am I so upset? Like, I should be watching out for her. I should be caring for her. I shouldn't be crying at work or I shouldn't be, like, Mm -hmm. worried about what this treatment means. Like, it's it's kind of nothing to do with me. 
And I felt like, again, it's kind of a good indication of a story, isn't it? Like if you feel really strongly about something, then you should probably write about it. And I was, yeah, I was really nervous when I published it because I think what I was desperate to avoid was someone saying, well, stop making it about you. Mm. You know, it's not your experience. But the response was amazing. It was it was incredible. And people were saying this is exactly how I felt. And I totally understand this. And um, it was it was really worthwhile. I'm really glad I did it. And thank mm. you for saying you liked it. It meant a lot to me. I thought, I thought it was terrific, particularly you mentioned one bit about the rest of the world going on. And you can use the Jurassic Park mosquito example, which mm. has really stayed yeah. with me. It was very beautifully written. Oh, thank you. I wish we had more time, Alva, because it's an absolute joy to talk to you. I'll do a double episode. (laughs) (laughs) So, Alva, do you have a favourite and least favourite Irish word? Thanks for asking. I sure do. Um, um, My favourite Irish word is one I still haven't shaken after years of leaving um, a girl's school. It's uskama, which is an apostrophe. Uskama. Oh, that's a good one. It just makes so much sense. It's 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 a comma, but it's up there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> do you have a least favourite oh um, down all looks I can't spell it down all for spider oh. I just can't spell it I can never spell it's it bitsy down all D-A-M-H-A father N-A-L-L-A something like that same as Nahrniva if, if I'm wrong I'm cutting back because I don't mm-hmm. look like an Egypt again <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it <laughs> there you have it Alvin Malone thank you so much for coming on today you're welcome thanks for having me so where can people find you on Twitter okay it's Alvatross A-I-L-P-H-E-T-R-O-S-S that's my username for everything so you can find me follow me Um, I will say I tend to follow all Alvas back Um, there you go Alvas (laughs) (laughs) no excuse (laughs) I don't want people like changing their name to Alvas that I'll follow back I'll know I'll know if you're a true Alva Alvin Malone thank you so much thank you thank you so it's Slan for me Slan for me Slan Hey, Dark again. I know all your favorite podcasts tell you to like and subscribe and leave a review, but we really, really want that and we really love you to go ahead and do that. Recently, we've had some interesting correspondence. Clovis' parents got in touch to say they enjoyed last week's episode, and Garajin's dad got in touch to say he also enjoyed recent episodes too. We'd especially love to hear from people who aren't related to the contributors. So please do get in touch. We're going to be having an episode soon where we'll be going through emails received to motherfucklore at headstuff.org, as well as tweets to the account and other bits of feedback and questions that people have had. So please do get in touch and let us know. And by all means, do give us a rating. Motherfucklore comes out every Friday on the Headstuff Podcast Network. There are lots of other great shows on the network too, if you're looking for something new. May I recommend Sparking Change with Dill? in which different issues related to social justice are discussed each week. It's a great show. Thank you very much to Brian for producing today, and Kirsten Shield for doing the artwork. Next week, Emer Duffy and I will be joined by Carl Kinsella, writer with Joe.ie, who is also responsible for some of the hilarious Irish-language pun chat-up lines you've seen on the internet, retweeted many, many, many times. We'll chat to you then. Slán live. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. When I die, my bit can be like, I'll alone, pizza expert. <laughs>